Hey y'all, Allison here. I just wanted to add a quick note to the beginning of this episode that as we're talking about belief today, what we're really referring to, which we say explicitly a little further on into the episode, is belief that God exists. And that is something that is core to who we both are. And I would encourage you that even if it's not something that's core to who you are, this is likely not the conversation that you think it is. So take a listen. Let us know what you think. Enjoy. Nolton Mason. I'm Stanley Bradley, and we're friends turned family getting together to tell stories, laugh, observe, and think. This is a family meeting. Okay, here we are, episode three. And the big topic for today is belief, which I'm a little nervous to talk about. It's a big thing for me, especially like where I am right now. So We're going to get into this again, like we said last week from this sort of 360 view, we're going to consider belief as a guide, like faith, which I think more of the like religious conversation is going to fit inside of that. And then the second part is belief as truth. So something that's a little more general and less obviously specific to a particular, like I am a blank or I go to this type of building on Sunday mornings or Saturday or whatever. I think my journey is a little more wandering than yours potentially. So maybe you start, (laughs) tell us like, what are you, one of the things we were hoping to get into is kind of like, how is belief framed for you in your formative years? And then like, what has changed about that framing for you as you've gotten older? Okay. So just for me, I'm Christian. I was raised Jesus Christ as savior. You're baptized. You're born again. This is the trajectory that you take. Um, Also, one of the things that I thought about as I was thinking about what we're going to talk about today, a lot of churches kind of social, cultural, historical, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in my sense, and also that belief is essential to my Blackness. Mm -hmm. So that was a thing that really kind of came out as I was thinking about this. Jesus, because again, Christian, Jesus was freedom. Jesus is freedom, not just personal freedom, but freedom as a people, like throughout Mm -hmm. our history, that's what, you know, I've been taught. That's what I believe that part of being a Christian is that having Jesus as your savior gives you a kind of freedom, a -hmm. freedom to be a freedom from oppression in a lot of ways. And so just thinking about that. um, Well, can I ask a question? So, you know, I I was raised similarly, but I think that for me, a lot of it was when I think about freedom as an idea, it came in like the afterlife. And again, like my, you know, my childhood wasn't like my blackness was not as present for me. And so it was like a, if we believe we will go to heaven, what, how was that for you? Was that something that was considered later, quote unquote, or was that like, how, how did that play into your daily life? Well, I think what the thing that I'm th- the thing that I'm talking about specifically is 
is the story of Moses Mm -hmm. and the children of Egypt being analogous to black folks in America, right? So this That's idea, how it was explained to you? That 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 is what I remember as, Really? That is what I remember as black church growing up like wow. was it was there a sermon that said this is you right. know like that right. made these direct connections? Maybe. Wow. But like that that kind of thinking around church like and I and I specifically say at black church as mm-hmm. you know Jesus as a vehicle for liberation and now as I trend when I got older I realized that is something called black liberation theology mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I w- and I was able to put an intellectual kind of wrap around it which I guess is what is the way I grew but just yeah as a kid I always re- I remember these I remember the Moses story I remember just this sense of that Christ was your savior to set yeah. you free in a sense wow. right and that it was our faith like because again i come from i'm from the south mm-hmm. i grew up in a black church that was founded by people who had by descendants of people who had gone through this experience right mm-hmm. like my church our, the church i grew up in i think was founded in the late 1800s by people who if they were not slaves if they had not been enslaved themselves mm-hmm. were descendants were direct descendants of those who had been enslaved mm-hmm. so part of that growing up was that black history and church and faith were all intertwined. Like it was, it was all one thing. It was not separate. Wow. And so, like I said, so like at that, like there was church holidays where we, uh, not church holidays, but church um, programs. We had a program called homecoming. Mm -hmm. And back in the day, the older people would dress like they would have dressed back when the church was first founded. Like they would mm-hmm. wear, some of the older women would wear the long petticoats and the long mm-hmm. skirts and really just kind of this reverence for that history. Like that this thing, this church is ours in a mm-hmm. way that other thing, in a way that the rest of society was not. And mm-hmm. so I very much grew up grounded in that. And so that, play, that plays, I think a big role in what belief is for me is that a lot, like you said, you, I, for me, separating Blackness from faith is not a thing mm-hmm. that I, is not a thing that I can do. Yeah, I will just say it's not a thing at that all. I do. That yeah. I do it all because it's, it, like I said, it's all, it's all there together. Well, man, I, <laughs> I'm <Yeah>. jealous. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I said. Man, I, this idea that belief and faith can be freedom is brand new to me. And I am jealous. And, and, <laughs> you, and, got and, to, and you got to feel freedom from your faith. That is beautiful. Yeah. And that and that's not and that's not to say it didn't come with all of the other baggage that church comes with, right? Like mm-hmm. this is wrong and that is wrong. And but that essential piece that your faith is again part of your vehicle for like that faith was part of the like literal vehicle for people getting free like they were free because they believed that they would be free and they were you know and like even if you think about like the civil rights movement and where that comes from that comes from like it the civil rights movement is black church based like those people believed that they were being guided by the hand of god 
to be set free, to, yeah. to resist what this is, to resist what society is telling them, that they're not full humans. And so thinking about that and growing up in that tradition, yeah, then the certain parts of my faith were very, are very liberating in that sense, you know, and wow. tying that together. And then just going to Morehouse, again, a place, Dr. King went to Morehouse. Mm -hmm. That was where kind of two things happened. I, I wrote, I think about thinking about belief intellectually in the sense that, again, I was finally able to realize, okay, this idea that there is a black liberation theology, you know, mm -hmm. there is this faith that says what I grew up knowing, putting words to that. And then also right. this was the first place, first time where I came to a place where people were not Protestant, where there were, I, I think it's where I first met black Catholics, mm -hmm. where I first met black people who were not Christians at all, who were mm -hmm. Muslims. Mm -hmm. First place I met black people who were not believers, mm -hmm. who did not believe in any, you know, who were mm -hmm. just, I guess in the basic sense, secular Christians, but really were not believers at all. And then, you know, I took the comparative religion class that we all take in college and just starting to explore a world outside of Christianity and particularly my Southern black Christianity. Mm -hmm. Again, I think kind of, gave shape to what I already mm -hmm. knew and what I already believed, but it gave shape and words and a way to kind of wrestle with those things that, um, that when you're growing up, like the contradictions that you see, like you said, like with also with, you know, the idea that Jesus is freedom is also the idea that Jesus is freedom, but marriages between a man and a woman or right right jesus is freedom but premarital sex is no jesus right. is freedom but all of these rules right and like that was in college i think is where i started to like kind of be more intellectually curious because i don't want to say yeah. open i think it's because i think i well i think i intellectually where you start to wrestle with those things and i think that right. like you said again that comes in concert with moving away from home, growing up, but it's mm -hmm. where you start to kind of try to reconcile those things. Okay, well, this is what I, I know personally. Right. But how does this square with what I'm told every Sunday? Or, yeah. Right. So that's just a little bit of, I think, where the journey started for me and where it is. Mm -hmm. Now, now I would be what the folks call a backslider in the sense, <laughs> in the sense that we're going to go ahead and keep this church language in the sense that I am not, I have not been attending church regularly in any kind of way in several mm. years, but you want to blame it on the panorama. We can blame it on it, but it happened. I won't, bl I won't blame the panorama for everything. It, oh, ha okay. it happened before it happened before okay. it. Um, and it's, it, it's, I think it's not a changing of faith. I think it's laziness in some sense. Like <laughs> well, where, where does faith sit or not faith? Let's stick with the term belief. Where does belief sit in your life right now? I think it's at the core. Again, I think it's at the core because ultimately belief for me is, again, it's, I don't know that I can separate because I can't separate it from my blackness. Right. I can't separate it from me. So it's it's the core of who I am in a lot of ways still because it guides 
the way that I think and what I do and what I practice, Mm -hmm. right? So I don't think it can ever be like, just because I'm not in the build, like I still believe the things that I believe Mm -hmm. just because I'm not in the ritual of going to church and the ritual of doing those church things. I think belief is still essential and it's still core for me. And I don't, I don't think the essentials have changed. I think some of the ideas around the essential belief have changed. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is part of growing up. I think that is part of, again, we talk, we're going to, we're probably going to get into a lot about this word relationship. Mm-hmm. I think that is a lot of the relationship people have with belief mm-hmm. is again, but the re- re- relationship and reconciliation, like how do you reconcile what you feel with what you're taught with what you know? Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I affirm that and especially just want to affirm the whole, like, you know, not going to a building does not mean yeah, really anything as far as I'm concerned, like yeah. being in a building on Sundays, you know, well, there was a big chunk of my life where I was going to a building on Sundays and I be- that is like the furthest I felt away from my core of belief. And so, uh, you know, there was um, a time where I stopped taking notes. Like I was an avid note taker, like an avid note taker during sermons and I stopped taking notes because I was just filling up notebooks. I would just write it down and then put it. Sometimes yeah. it just stayed in the car. Like literally it would yeah, just stay in like, the car. Never touch it, never open it, never do anything about it. And then I was one day, I was like, why am I bothering with this? Like, just stop taking these notes. You're not using them. They don't feel practical. And that was one of the little st- stepping stones on my journey to freedom. Um, yeah. Yeah. So let me back up and start at the beginning of my journey. And like I said, man, I'm jealous. Like the, this whole idea of belief as freedom is new and, you know, listening to you talk, I'm, I'm able to see now for the first time, how much that had to do with, you know, who taught me what I was taught. And my family went to a church of God in Christ church until I was seven, which if you know anything about that tradition is very black. Um, And then there was some sort of split, which I think is also (laughs) kind of built into, I I feel like I've heard a lot about church splits and things in church of God in Christ. So um, we ended up going then to a white Pentecostal church and I won't go deep into that, but I'll say that like, why I came out of that, um, like you said, very connected to like the rules of like what we do and what we don't do. Um, I knew a lot of Christianese. I knew a lot of catchphrases. Like I knew a lot of like the things that are said and really lived my life by those things. And, you know, as I talked about a couple episodes ago with the Bama podcast and just listening to somebody talk about the Bible in context and what the original intent of the authors were is literally tearing down everything that I learned as a young kid, everything. And a lot of what I learned as a young kid was just kind of packaged slightly differently and re-delivered to me as a, as a young adult, as a grown adult, you know, um, I attended a mega church in Atlanta for a long time have many members of my family that came out of that experience. And so it, it was a, 
a really impactful situation for me. But like this idea that, like I said, this freedom idea, and it's so odd. It's so simple. It feels so simple now. Yeah. But that is not the way it was packaged to me. It was, here's what we do and what we don't do. And, um, you know, I always, I reference often to folks I talk about this idea of these like shelves that were installed like over my shoulder. One says things Christians do and one says things Christians don't do. And there's like little notebooks basically on the shelf and they have things written in them of like, here's what we do. Here's what we don't do. And so I'm like, all my whole life, I just would reference the shelf when I dealt with the situation and I'd be like, ah, here's the situation. Do Christians do that? Nope. And I don't do that. (laughs) And had a lot of guilt around, you know, when I would want to do something on the things Christians don't do shelf. (laughs) And I was a pretty good kid, good in quotation marks. And so pretty much I did what I was supposed to do and didn't do what I wasn't supposed to do. Um, and didn't have a lot of intellectual curiosity at that point. Like I just really kind of believed what I was told. And, um, in my later life, um, so I say like after my dad died, so my dad died in 2011 and he was really the, the main one who instilled belief in us and, made a lot of the decisions for our family. Um, and, you know, I felt a lot of things when he died, obviously. <laughs> and it's been interesting that, you know, right after he died, I was like, I like clung to my belief really tightly and then went the other direction as a result of processing his death. And then was like, at some point asked myself, I remember, I think it was like in 2014, like about three years after he died. And I said to myself, like, do you even want to be a Christian? And I like wow. really sat with that for a couple of weeks. And I was like, I don't even know if I want this. Cause I was like super angry with God. I was angry about the way my dad died and how much faith he had exhibited his whole life. And what I felt like was like, an, like that he was like abandoned yes. by God at the end of his life. And I feel like my, you know, I don't know all of how my dad felt about it, but I feel like he has some, a lot of feelings at the end of his life as well. And so I sat with that for a couple of weeks and similar to you landed on that place that like belief in God and Jesus was not something that I could let go of, that that was like core to who I was. And more than just not being able to like imagine what that life would be like, or even feeling maybe a little bit of stigma, right? Of like you yeah. said, being a black person who would say I didn't believe. I truly was like, I I truly think that God exists. And so I was like, well, I can't, if yes. I if I truly believe that God exists, I can't then say, and at the time I was connecting God exists with Christianity. Yes. I have since disconnected those two things, but I was like, you cannot say that you believe God exists and then say you're not a Christian. So I was like, all right, well, great. Now let's on the other side of this, figure out what this Christianity thing is going to look like for me. And I think that is when I started to take the things off the shelf and like really examine them. And I didn't, I would love to say that I did that in some sort of holistic way (laughs) that I was like, all right, let's take the shelf down. Let's look through everything. But I didn't, I was, it was very situational. And it was like, here's the thing that is some sort of tension, right? Like 
something in front of me and I'm like, what should I do? And I'm like, well, the shelves are here. Let me pull something from the shelf and see. And one of, one of the earliest things that I, <laughs> that I did that with is cursing, which is such a funny, weird thing, but yeah. it was like, Christians do not curse. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you know, I would hear people curse. I would like, ugh, like wince a little bit. Yeah. And then I was like, and it was such a silly thing, but I was like, I would like to curse. I'm trying to find where the Bible says that I shouldn't curse. Now, again, now that I have started to rethink the Bible, that's even a flawed way of thinking about it. But I was like, the Bible doesn't say you can't curse. And I was like, it's 20, whatever. Whenever I had this thought to myself, I was like, these words didn't exist. (laughs) And so how is the Bible going to tell me not to say shit? Say shit if I want to say shit. Shit, 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 shit. (laughs) you going to tell me I can't. And so that was one of the first times where I really was like, I don't care what that says. And I, I took that off the shelf so, and I like started to arrange things for myself. Right. Not just this like shelf that was built in over my shoulder. Um, and so that has been the slow process. Um, another one that I can think of is when Lance asked me to move in together. And I was like, Christians don't live with their boyfriends before they get married. And I was like, wait a whole minute. Like, and that one was a quick one. I think that took, that was like an overnight decision. (laughs) I was like, I really like him. I was like, yep, yep. Let's move in together. (laughs) Cause I'm like, no, just that just doesn't square with like logic with like really my inner voice. And that's what I started to get a stronger connection to as well. Realizing that like, and again, my, my, my understanding or reconfiguring of my understanding of the Bible hadn't even started then, but I was like, there are, this book is limited. It's not, it doesn't have guidance for every moment of your life. And so I was like, people have tried to use that. And I, you know, in preparation for this conversation, I thought about um, the word weaponize and whether or not I feel like belief and faith was like weaponized against me. And I don't think it was because there's something about that feels very malicious like, and yeah. maybe it was, and maybe I'm just thinking of it, the word the wrong way. I know a lot of people in deconstruction circles use that term weapon, weaponization of faith in the Bible and, and Christianity. Um, I don't know that I feel like it was weaponized against me, but there was certainly some boxes that were put around me and my behavior, my thinking. And it, as I started to um, come closer to my inner voice, I was able to start to really understand some of those boxes, I think. I started to be able to see some of the boxes and remove them. Um, And so, you know, it's, it feels super, it feels different. Very often I feel like sacrilegious. <laughs> like I feel like the, the Allison from Ohio would be looking at me like you, you need to get it together. Like, you're, like you know what I mean? You I need to go really, to church. <laughs> you need to go to church and I'm gonna blame it on the panorama. panorama. I haven't been to a church in a while. Um, 
that was the beginning of it. But then, you know, I'm just having all these revelations and these uh, like these new ways to understand things. And I, that feels very private right now. Like a knowing trust, love is very, very present. And I do feel that freedom now, you know, that it's, it feels very clear. And this is something that my friend Daniela says all the time that God is for me. And that belief is freeing. So it's like we mentioned last, last episode about uh, a stabilization that have, you know, we talked about living in the same house for a long time and how that grounding then gives you wings. Yeah. And that's how I feel that like, I feel like stably grounded in the, in God. And then what I'm working on is being able to like trust the story, which is a, which is a phrase that comes from the Bayma podcast, which are some of the, the lessons I think that were part of the original text, um, particularly in the beginning, because we're going through it from the beginning and I'm only on episode eight. Um, but um, like trusting the story, working with, not against what happens to me and understanding that what's supposed to be for me is for me and what's not supposed to be for me is not for me, even yeah. when it feels disappointing or that's not what I wanted. So it has been quite a journey. Yeah. Uh, it's a continuing journey. And um, one thing that I I wrote down in the notes that really hit me and felt very relevant. I was, the other day I was cooking and I listen to the Bama podcast a lot when I'm cooking and he said something. And I think I was like, I was like midway through chopping up something. And I like stopped, paused it. Cause I was like, wait, <laughs> I was like, that's too deep of a concept. I need to not be chopping onions while I <laughs> listen to this. And so I went and I tried to come back to it. And then I was like, finally, I just put down the knife, came in my office and sat down and typed this up because it was so, it felt like he was talking to me. So he said, and he was talking about the way that the text is set up and how like the fingerprints of God are all across. Um, even again, just the first section of Genesis, he said, you're invited to reframe your understanding of reality. The audience of Genesis thousands of years ago was being invited to reframe what they thought was most true about the world. I believe for every single one of us as readers of the scriptures, the invitation is extended to us as well. We are being invited to reframe what we think is most fundamentally true about the world we live in. What is the world like? Who is God? Who are we? How does God feel about his creation? I think our knee-jerk responses have to be questioned here. They have to be put on the stand and tried because there's something going on here that I think changes the way we understand the world. And it definitely changes the way we read the scriptures. And that was by Marty Solomon from the Bay Mile podcast. And that's really where I'm at trying to start this reframing and understand these big questions like what is the world like who is god who are we how does god feel about us and like he mentioned that knee-jerk responses that's my shelf yeah and it's like they have to be questioned and that's that's where i'm at yeah wow that that was that that was those quotes i mean like at the end of the day those quotes are essentially what 
we what we're all looking for as humans right right, right. so outside of christianity outside of mm-hmm. islam outside of like those are the questions that we all seek to answer that's right which is why we believe what we believe right in a lot of ways and, and people even, get to whatever that belief is however they get there but it's you know for you and i it's god for other people it's something else but i think you know, belief as, like we said at the beginning, belief as a guide, I think has a lot of times been spun up into a religion. And, you know, one of those Christian easy kind of catchphrases that we all always used to hear was like, it's about a relationship, not a religion, which is funny that I heard that from a religious organization and that was exactly not what they were teaching me. They were really teaching me to to do what the religion says. They, yeah. um, and it's just, it's been interesting to come back to that as like, oh, that's not actually like, it really is that. It's, it's that, <laughs> if yeah. You, if you get at it the right way. If you come from it the right way. Right. And, I, and that is the thing that, and I don't know, again, like a lot of this is, I think, circumstance. And like you said, where you come from it, who you taught it, the whole idea of relationship for me was, like I said, I just historically, and I guess even if they never said it explicitly, coming from a place where, you know, people have a history of being discriminated against by people who call themselves Christians, right? Right. So automatically, like that tension was there. Like your- Goes goes forward today, heavily. Yeah, and like, so, I think, again, for those people, like, again, for the people who taught me, it was like, we cannot, we cannot practice, we cannot come from this as the same way as these people who are like, you are not human, mm-hmm. come from this. It's something to think about that people use relationship in both ways, right? Mm-hmm. People use relationship to kind of absolve themselves. Right. of responsibility for the wider world that their belief exists in. It's also like one of those sayings of the world, not, in, not the world. in the world. Yes. People use that, particularly, we'll go ahead and say it, particularly white folks and white Christianity right. use those phrases to absolve themselves of their responsibility that their faith, quote unquote, right. wrecked on the world. Right. Like that is a thing that is contemporary like Billy Graham, that is one of the big criticisms mm-hmm. of him. And I read this in a, in a book called um, by Taylor Branch. It's a three-part series. Gosh, I can't remember the name of the book, but it's a three-part series on Dr. King. And you it talks about- it. You got to link it in the show I'll notes. Link it. I'll definitely link it in the show notes. And the thing um, that it talks a lot about is, again, because it's about Dr. King, it's a lot about how, you know, the civil rights movement and faith started in the black church and his struggles with faith. But one of the things it talked about was how Billy Graham used his faith. And like, you know, he was a big person at the time mm-hmm. to, to kind of separate himself from the civil rights struggle and the damage that did like, mm-hmm. right. Because had he used his faith and his platform to mm-hmm. further mm-hmm. the idea of equality for all people what a different world we would live in now rather than him using 
his faith to say, oh, I'm in relationship with Christ. These are things of the world. Me and my followers don't need mm-hmm. to do that. And right. that's something that reverberates to this day. Like you right. said, it reverberates absolutely to this day. That That's one thing that I'm I'm still really learning is how much of Christianity as the way that it was taught to me, I won't put it on anybody else, but the way it was taught to me was based in colonialism and not freedom. <laughs> like I'm just yeah, no, a, not freedom a, oppressing, all. oppressing people. Co- and, colonialism and, and used to oppress people used to further the role of empire. Right. And to further the role of decidedly secular things mm-hmm. in a way that, you know, we, that we fully still don't grapple with to this day right. in our society. So yeah, that's, um, so just thinking about all of that and you kind of distilled it down to what you believe is true personally now. And yeah. how do you just, and I think like a lot of that is once we figure out what we believe is true personally, then how do we deal with that on like a, again, like not not to reuse that phrase, but the fact is we are of this world. Right. And so yeah, how does your belief play out? Like every a, day. Yeah, every day. Yeah, yeah I mean, <clears throat> the one thing again, I'm just going to keep mentioning the Baymont podcast because it's really has a lot of a lot of gems in it. But one thing that they talked about in there was truth as a as a concept and the fact that in Western society, we think a lot about truth as like a fixed point in that if anything changes from what we believe is in that fixed point, then we have to like set another fixed point as opposed to truth being like a journey and being a set of understandings that like build on, on each other. And so, you know, I was, it's an, it's a weird thought. Um, but I thought this uh, from many angles, I am glad to be alive right now. I'm glad for, for many reasons, the two that are coming the most to me, (laughs) one is that this is like the age of the black woman. And so I'm like really excited about being a black woman. Um, but I, I'm really excited to be alive right now when we have the a the freedom to think about this this way, right? Like there have been times in history where you cannot think about the Bible in any way other than the way that the people at the top tell you to think about the Bible. Yeah. And so, and I think there there are likely even places in the world, not likely, there are places in the world right now where yeah. that is true. Yeah. And so I I'm grateful to be alive at this time. I'm grateful to be alive in this country where I'm able to have these conversations and able to be intellectually curious, able to explore and redefine and understand and layer on to the truth that I have more truth and deeper understanding. And so um, one thing that I stumbled upon in my prep for this conversation is something called this, I believe from 
NPR. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. I, when, you, when I saw those, I was like, I remember this. Yeah. And I used to listen to NPR when I was getting dressed in the morning. And like, I don't know if any of you did that as a kid, you'd be like getting dressed all of a sudden you're like crying um, because somebody- StoryCorps. StoryCorps. Oh my gosh. We got to link that in the show notes too. StoryCorps was just so good. Anyway, so one of the things that they did was this series called This I Believe where people- regular people, famous people would write these statements about what they believe is true. And it was a very moving series that they did. And I forget if it was assigned to me or if I just like sat down and wrote one for myself. Um, but I went, I, I wrote one and then, um, and I don't know, I was somewhere in my twenties and I think I updated it maybe sometime in my early thirties, but there was part of it that I found that I wanted to read again um, that I feel like is sort of the, is still sort of the way that I come at belief. Um, so I said, in the end, I believe that if you learn yourself, you've learned the best thing that you can learn. And that is what you need to be better, to do better, to make a difference. It seems a bit like the speech they give on the airplane about what to do with the oxygen mask in case of emergency. Please secure your own mask before assisting others. And I think that that idea of like learning yourself and like growing to me is underneath everything good that you can do in the world. Um, you know, there's like all this talk now about like healing and recovering from traumas. And, and I think that all goes to the same thing that like, if you are in a place where you are like unhealthy, it's going to be hard for you to have a significant impact. It's going to be hard for you to like, you know, move in a way that is particularly meaningful. And so I think, and not to say that you have to arrive any place of healing or health, but that like the journey of working on yourself, learning yourself is in the same, in the same way that truth is a journey, like those things come together to move you forward. And so I think that's what's happening. That's where I sit as I think about belief and like a day-to-day expression. It's a, let me understand better what I believe, let me understand better who I am. And from there, I'm able to really be in alignment with what I'm supposed to do on this planet. Seeking that and like tapping into my inner voice is how I go through how, you know, how faith works for me day to day. Um, So it's been I think the thing that I'm, I'm getting excited about that I think I didn't understand early on is that it really is a journey that there isn't like, cause I used to, you know, we used to pray like, you know, towards some destination. It's like, God help me to be more whatever as though there was a, a place to get and that you would get there. And then that would be the ultimate place to be. Um, but I really am finding so much joy and freedom and life on this journey that it feels great. What about you? That 
was great. I just <laughs> listening to you and really listening and just reflecting on what you said. For me, I really don't know if I could have said it any better myself. Oh, I think that you. there's there's this whole idea, right? That there is journey. I think that's one of the things that as you grow up and grow into your faith and into your relationship with belief is this idea that faith is not, faith and belief are not these transactional things, right? Mm -hmm. Like just because you believe, like I think so many of us have, are in this trap that you believe so this thing will happen. Like you said. Or getting, not happen. Or not happen. Right. Or get to that fixed point right. where it's not about the fixed point. It's about the idea that you believe because you believe. Mm -hmm. You believe mm -hmm. because it's just like, it's, it's why belief and love are, like you said, belief and love and self-discovery and all those mm -hmm. things are basically the same mm -hmm. because you love because you love. You don't necessarily love when it's in its truth. You don't love to get love in return. You love right. because you have to. Right. And it's the same thing with belief when you're true, when it's your truth, right? Mm -hmm. You believe not because you're trying to get to this point of enlightenment or this point of, like you said, this fixed point, you believe because it's essential to who you are. It's essential to working on who you are day to day. And I think you said that much more eloquently than I ever could have <laughs> in your, when you were talking. So I think that's it. I think that is ultimately the thing that you, that we probably would take away from today is that belief is for, for, I would say for most of us, if not all of us, it's just essential. Like, yeah. again, you believe because you, you believe because you have to. Yeah. And I think the other thing that I think I definitely want included in this conversation is this idea that like so many people have turned away from belief because of believers. And that breaks my heart when I think about you know, that moment when I asked myself, like, do you even want to be a Christian? And I said to myself, like, yes. But I think a lot of people have asked themselves that question and been like, no. And, and, and again, Christian is not the point. And so I think that there's something that we have, as a society have like messed up about belief and tied it with a bunch of the wrong stuff. And I just think that it's so beautiful and grounding and freeing, like you started the conversation by saying. And I think that, you know, if I can encourage people to do anything is to just assess, you know, to ask yourself that question again, maybe. If, if you feel like, you know, belief was tied up with hurt, which it often is because of these boxes that they put. Right. And for me, I felt inside, like my identity markers fell inside the boxes, but for the people who, whose identity markers fall outside the boxes, it's like, well, they are saying that I am blank or that X will happen to me. And it's wrong. That's not true. And it's, it's lies meant to keep people apart and to further that thing that is not belief at all to exactly further, to further exactly. that 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 gain exactly that transaction exactly I think that is I think that is the thing that I have come to realize and I don't know when I realized it but that 
this idea of faith as transaction mm-hmm. is what gets a lot of people held up. Yeah. Right. Faith and belief is if I believe this, X will happen. Right. If I believe this, X will not happen. And right. I think you have to, you have to, like you said, strip all strip, that strip away. That, yeah. Strip yes. all that. And just like, what do you believe? And so I think that the, that's what was cool about the, this, I believe exercise, but then it's just, you know, an exercise that I think can feel really hard to, to look at that, that pain and have to move past the pain. If you haven't, right. If you're just like, I'm just putting the whole thing on the side to have to bring all that back and then dig underneath can be much harder than I could even probably imagine. But I just think that there's so much good that, you know, I, I, I would just encourage folks to assess, spend the time and dig in and see what you believe. So. And I think that is our show for this. Week. <laughs> no, um, we got to do what's up for you. It's been a really great conversation. We got to do what's up for you. <laughs> oh, that's true. We do have to do what's up for you. So go ahead. I'll right. start off. What's up for you? Uh, what's up for me is my birthday. So by the time this airs, my birthday will have passed. Um, I will be turning 41. Very excited about it. It's not a super sexy birthday. I do love birthdays that end in zero and five, but, but, (laughs) um, and it's my second panini birthday, which I'm like, ugh, you've you've only had one, but this is my second one. And, uh, last year was the birthday of social media. Lance and Ani East did this like whole campaign where they got like literally everyone I've ever met to post about me on social media. And it was super fun. This year is the birthday of gifts, apparently. Um, and Ooh. the birthday captain, Lance Mason, has done an exceptional job. It is not my birthday yet. And I've already received many, 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 many gifts, including, and this is the thing that I'm, I won't say I'm most excited about, but it's cool that he has is ergonomically refitting my office. So, you know, my office is very, wow. very decorated. So there's not a lot to do in terms of like redoing it visually, but my back bothers me a fair amount. Um, I have an amazing chiropractor who has saved me from daily back pain, but Lance has, is he gave, he got me a super cool ergonomic mouse, which feels like an extension of my hand is very cool. And then he bought this lift thing for my computer so that it's higher up and I can look directly at it. And then he just got me this dope chair that just came in on Friday that has like, I mean, like 17 levers. Like literally I can like tilt the seat in two directions. I can change the lumbar support. There's a headrest. I can move the arms in like seven directions. And so it's the birthday of gifts. Gifts are not my love language, but I love them. So maybe it, it makes it changing. <laughs> Do you love a, gifts? It's a new love language. It is. And then, um, so that's what's leading up to my birthday. And then I'm having a little birthday dinner outside at a friend's house because I still don't feel comfortable going to a restaurant. Yeah, no. And so that's going to be lovely. And then we have been like ripping and running the last couple weekends and really we've been trying to figure out what we're going to do other than this dinner. And we both Lance and I both just want to like lay still. <laughs> so we're just going to like probably just do like a movie marathon or something that until is, dinner. And that is the ultimate, like 
40 year old. That's age. That's that's the ultimate like 40 year, 40 plus birthday is like food, gifts, and then nothing else. That's it. Yeah. So. (laughs) Like, why is that like the dream? It's the dream. It's the dream. So (laughs) that is what's up for me this week. What's up for you? What's up for me this week is I have been listening to this book called Belgravia by Julian Fellows, which seems- Isn't that the guy who made- um, Downton Abbey. Downton Abbey? Yes. It's all, um, yeah, it's my Anglophile thing. I'm a Mm -hmm. little little bit of an Anglophile. It's just, it's just good to listen to people Mm -hmm. reading in British accents. It's not the best story. What's it about? It's about what they're always about. It's like Downton Abbey, (laughs) but set like- it's, it's literally Downton Abbey, but it's set like 75 years beforehand. Okay. And it's about rich people and their okay. servants. And okay. that's it. <laughs> like that's so it. It's D- Downton Abbey in book form. It's Downton Abbey in book form that you listen to set 70 years earlier. All right. And I just like it. Like it, it, it has no deeper meaning than that. I just like it. <laughs> so it's what I've been listening to this week. So it's what's up for me. It sounds fun. Yeah. All right. I think that's our show for today. That's our show. You had blown my mind. I was like, we need to put a ball on this. Support for this podcast comes from Lilac on York Creative Studios. The family meeting is produced by me and Allison. Additional production, audio mixing, and sound editing by Will Salua, who also wrote and produced our theme song entitled 135th and Coffee. Need a unique track, beat, or sound mixing and editing? You can find his email address and IG handle in our show notes every week. You can find the show notes on what we discussed, including links posted in the blog section on lilacsonyork.com. And you can keep up with the show on Instagram at lilacsonyork. You can find me on social at Allison K. Mason on IG and Twitter, even though I do not tweet. And you can find me on social media at Twice11 on IG and Twitter, even though I don't post on IG. Thanks for listening. Meet you here next week. <laughs> <laughs>